Let's look at this passage of Scripture. Start out at chapter 1, verses 3 and verse 4. Now Habakkuk is kind of griping at God here because God is bringing to his attention the corruption and the sin in the nation. Listen to what he says. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. Their strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Does that sound like our nation? Yes, it does. God is showing him that his nation, who God had made a covenant with, who God says, I love you, I want to bless you, how they were turning away from God, they were ignoring the law of God, they didn't want to have anything to do with God, and corruption was filling, filling the nation. How many have ever felt like that? God, God just kind of brings to your attention the sin in our nation. Why do you think he does that? Because he wants you to pray for a move of God. That's why. Habakkuk is making a complaint in the, about his nation. He sees the handwriting on the wall. He knows that God is going to judge his nation. And our nation needs to understand God is, has a covenant with our nation as well. Our nation was founded on biblical principles, biblical morals. In fact, the Congress, when they first printed a reader for our children in the public schools to learn how to read, it was the Bible. That was the covenant we had. Our founding fathers, majority of them were strong Christians. Many of them in our founding fathers were actually pastors. Our nation had a godly beginning and we made a covenant with God. So today, our nation is just like Israel. We're turning away from God. And so just like Israel, we should expect God's going to judge us if we don't experience a revival. If our nation doesn't turn back to God, just like Habakkuk, he saw the handwriting on the wall. You ask the, the Christian leaders in our nation today if they're expecting a judgment if we don't have revival. And they'll tell you yes. The church has a responsibility. Look at verse 6. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Now Habakkuk doesn't understand this. He knows they deserve judgment because of their sin, but he doesn't understand the fact that God is going to allow a, a nation that is even more wicked and more ungodly to come against Israel. And he's struggling with that. And so he's asking God about that. But church, we can, ha we can have that same mindset. Why would you know, as bad as the United States is, well, we're not as bad as a lot of the other nations in the world. But you forget, this nation was enlightened. This nation has a covenant with God. 
just like Israel. God had blessed them. God had given him his law. He had established this nation. He had a fellowship with them, a covenant relationship with them. And they were turning away from that and pushing against God. And so God had no choice but to bring judgment. In church, that's the same thing with our nation today. There's no other nation in the world that has the privilege of the Bible teaching that we have in the United States of America. That's one of the reasons why I believe that God has opened the door for me to go to Pakistan. Because those people are hungry. Even the pastors, they're, they're new Christians and they, they don't have an, a deep understanding of God's Word. And they're hungry. It tore me up. When we would do the crusades and they would, for our protection, they would escort us off of the platform after a, a massive crusade. And there would be some that would run up to the, uh, to the platform. And I had one, one gentleman that he was very, very sh- short. <laughs> he was about this tall. And he ran up, he squirmed his way through the crowd and ran up. And as I was coming down off of the platform, headed to our vehicles, he ran up and with his arms, he just grabbed me with everything he had and squeezed me with every ounce of his energy. Why? Because he wanted more of God. He was hungry for God. And it broke my heart. Because I I couldn't stay there and and pray for all the people. There were thousands and thousands of people. And it was just not possible to do it. And then because of the security aspect, it's still very dangerous there. They were trying to keep the crowds back from us. But I believe that's why God opened that door. Because those people are hungry. They don't have the blessings that we do to have two or three or four or five Bibles laying around the house or on our coffee table, on our nightstand. And when we would begin to give Bibles away, hundreds and hundreds would rush and press in, all reaching, wanting, begging to receive one of God's precious Bibles. So Habakkuk is struggling. Look at verse 13. He says, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? See, he's struggling with that. He couldn't figure out why God was going to use a a nation that's even more ungodly. The, The nation that he was going to allow to conquer is because when God comes to the point that We deserve judgment. And He's given us time and time and time again. God is merciful. Because our nation hasn't received judgment. Think of all of the the babies that we've murdered in our mother's womb. Think of all the ungodly things that our government is promoting. We've deserved judgment in our nation for years and years. But church, there has been a remnant of people that have continued to humble themselves and seek His face and cry out to God. Amen? 
Go to the next chapter in Habakkuk. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk's speaking here, and he he makes a, a statement that is actually kind of humorous. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me, what God will say to me, and and what I will answer when I am corrected. I love that. He's saying, I don't understand it, and I'm griping about it. I don't think that nation, God should allow that nation to come against us. But I trust God, and I know that he's right. I know that he's righteous. And he said, I'm prepared to be corrected. Let me tell you, church, when the church has that heart, when we say, God, if there's anything in my heart and in my life that needs correcting, I give you permission. I want to be corrected. I want to be what you want me to be. That's a start for revival. Amen? If you weren't here Wednesday night, we were looking at a great story in Genesis about Uh, Abraham sending his servant to go find a bride, a wife, for his son Isaac. And the servant goes. And the servant is an Old Testament type or a picture of the Holy Spirit. And, And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do. That's his main mission. It's to come and to lead us to Jesus. It's to come and to to help us become the spotless bride of Christ. Are you with me? And how many of you would say, yes, Lord, you have my permission. If I need correction, go ahead and correct me. Amen? Okay, three people. we got a long way to go. Okay. (laughs) Habakkuk in chapter 3 says, Lord, come in power and receive Receive your work in the midst of the years. I love that. He sees the need for revival. Did you hear that? He's saying revive your work in the midst of the years. In other words, in the middle of my day, in the middle of my time. Now how many of us have ever heard or read about great revivals of the past? Probably most of us. There have been tremendous revivals right here in the United States. There have been revivals around the world. There's been what we call the Great Awakening that swept across the United States. There's the Welch Revival. There's Azusa Street. There's many great and mighty moves of God that have taken place. But church, I don't want to just read about revival. I don't want to just study revivals of the past. I want to experience revival in my life and in our church, in our time. And that's what Habakkuk was crying out to God. Lord, what you've done in the past, your mighty works, Lord, do it in my day. Revive your work right now in our time. That needs to be the cry of the church. It does. Lord, do it in our time. My grandfather grew up in the time of great healing revivals. Back in the early 50s, there was a move of God where they had huge crusades and tent revivals. And one of the churches that he founded in Fort Worth called Bethesda, he was a, a pastor and he was also the president of the college. And 
he would take college students and he'd say, we don't have a church in this part of town. We're going to go plant a church. And he planted one called Bethesda. The church is still there today. It's actually a mega church today. But in those early times, he, he would start the churches, get them going, get them strong and healthy. Then he'd go back to the school and he'd get another group of students and go plant another church. But Bethesda had some great pastors that were hungry for God. And I've got a book that has pictures where they were bringing people in their wheelchairs. And they were bringing people from the hospitals. And they were, they were bringing them to the altar, praying for them. And God was healing them. And over in the corner of the church, they had a pile of wheelchairs that, where people had been healed. And they tossed them over in the corner. I grew up hearing those stories. People would come to my grandfather's house in the middle of the night when there was a, a tremendous need of healing and ask for him to pray for them because God was just healing people all the time. He was moving. There was a, a little boy that his, his mother and father were renting the garage apartment that my grandfather had while he was at the school. And she was ironing one day and her baby was just a toddler, little boy. And he, I think he either chewed through the cord or stuck his finger in the light socket. But it killed him instantly. She came running down the stairs into my grandfather's house with this lifeless child. There was no breath. He was totally limp. No, he wasn't breathing. There wasn't any pulse. She had tears streaming down her face. And she handed him to my grandfather. And he prayed. Did God, you raise the dead in the New Testament? We read that. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I just pray. I don't know all the words that he prayed, but he prayed for God to revive that precious little toddler. And immediately, he took a breath and came back. The neat thing about that story is that I know that young toddler very well because he's my second cousin, Steve Skipper. And Steve Skipper and his wife are evangelists in South America. They do crusades from Mexico all the way down to, South, to the tip of South America and all Argentina and various places. He's, a, he's a, an evangelist with the Assemblies of God and he's assigned to those countries. And he's preaching and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are coming to know Jesus. But it was because God gave him an awesome miracle. And you may have never heard things like this. Church, that's what 
what it's supposed to be about. <laughs> Amen? God is awesome. He's great. Nothing's impossible for Him. And He, he desires to move among His people. Look at chapter 3 again. I want to look at verse 1 through 4 and read through that for just a second. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet of Shigayanoth. Now, Shigayanoth was the title for a melody line. What they would do in, in uh, these days in Hebrew, they'd come up with a really good melody that they really liked, and then they would change the words and have another song, but they would use the same melody. And that's what he's talking about. He is breaking into song. He has come to a point in his, in his life, even though he's crying out to God on behalf of his, his people, he knows that judgment's going to come. He's crying out for revival, but he's trusting God and a song begins to rise up in his heart. He's not concerned. He's not worried. He believes that God's going to move. I love that. In verse 2, he says, O Lord, revive Your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So he's crying out to mercy. Then in verse 3, God came from Timon. That's another, another name from Edom, which is southeast of the Dead Sea. The Holy One from Mount Paran. And then he says, Selah. Selah is a musical term. It means when you come across that in the Psalms, it means to stop, to pause, and to think about what God has just said or what the psalmist has just said. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. He has rays flashing from His hand and there His power was hidden. Habakkuk here, he's praying. What was he praying in this song? He's saying, Lord, I want to see your glory. He's saying, Lord, we, want to, we need your glory in our day. We need your power in our day. How many would say along with Habakkuk, we need it today too. We need the glory of God today. We need the power of God to be manifested. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, look at that with me for a second. This is interesting. It's part of his hymn of faith here. He says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation." The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And He will make me walk on my high heels. What's he, what's he saying there? Habakkuk is saying, Lord, whatever it takes. He says, Lord, they were an agricultural nation. He's saying, if you allow our, our vocation, Lord, to suffer, Lord, that's okay. Lord, if you attack the fields, if you uh, allow the, the cattle to die off or the goats or whatever, whatever it is, he's saying, Lord, whatever it takes, we need revival. Do we have a heart like that? Are we willing to say, Lord, whatever it takes, we need revival. 
Amen? If we need a little more persecution, Lord, that's okay. We're going to trust in you. Lord, if we need another pandemic, God forbid. But Lord, if it will bring revival to the United States, so be it. Amen? Whatever it takes, God, whatever it takes, we want you to move. That's his heart. That's his heart. I love that. How many agree with that? The same idea is presented in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. When Habakkuk says, Lord, I'm ready for you to correct me. Listen to this. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. If we're going to see a, a move of God in our nation, we need to say, Lord, whatever it takes in my life, Lord, I want personal revival. I want to encounter your power and your glory. So Lord, show me. Convict me. That's one of the things in the, in the Asbury revival that stood out. It's interesting. It's the fact that uh, the students were coming with a heart of repentance for their sin. And this is a Christian college. It's non-denominational now. It used to be Westland. But it's a Christian college and they've experienced moves of God in the past. But these are Christian kids. It happened when they had a normal chapel service and the, the uh, president of the college said it was really uneventful. It wasn't a, an amazing chapel service. But what happened is that after the service was over, there was a few of the kids that remained and weren't organized, and they just begin to press in and to cry out to God and pray and, and, and repent because they wanted to be more like Jesus. I love that. Lord, do it in our hearts. That one thing was noticed, that they were genuinely remorseful. They were contrite for their sin. Proverbs 28 and 13 says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. I like mercy. How about you? Amen? I love mercy. I'm thankful for that. But listen to this. He who covers his sins will not prosper. And too many times I think the church is putting on a facade. We want everybody to think we're the perfect Christian. I'm holier than thou. Quit pretending and get right with God. Amen? I want to be more and more and more like Jesus. How about you? These, these young people, they weren't messing around. They weren't pretending with God. They came with a heart that was hungry and they were remorseful because they knew there were issues in their life that God needed to deal with. And when the church has that kind of heart, we're going to see God move. You believe that? There was such a hunger for the presence of God that they were canceling classes. That's awesome. You know, when Melinda and I were in Bible school, we experienced that. I don't know, Mitch, did y'all ever experience that? Yeah. 
We, we, we were at a Bible school south of Dallas called Southwestern Assemblies of God University. And there would be times we would have chapel, we would have church, and God would just begin to move, and the students would come forward and begin to pray. And, and before too long, they were so excited that to see, have all the students in the altar praying that they canceled classes for the rest of the day. I pray that happens again. Amen? These students, it's interesting, their hunger that they have. In fact, uh, my daughter Michelle, she lives about three hours. Josh and Michelle, a lot of you know them. Um, they were here and were helping us for a while. But they uh, are planning a church in Kentucky in about three hours from this revival. So, so Michelle and Josh loaded up the kids and they said, we're going to go check this out. And so they went to the revivals to see if God was moving, to see if it was hype, to see if it was real. And they said it was great. It was great. They said it was genuine. It, it was real. People were truly pressing into God and desiring more and more of Jesus. I want to read you one of the professors there on the campus and his account of what happened in his life. A seminary professor visiting the meeting said, two things stood out to me. First, there was a notable lack of tension in my body. I was completely relaxed. There was also a lack of mental tension. My mind was at utter peace. And I had only been there 10 minutes. The second thing that I was thinking was that I could sit in this chair forever. The desire to linger indefinitely was quite unexpected. I had planned to pop in for a few minutes before work. Suddenly, work was the farthest thing from my mind. I wound up staying for well over an hour. In the time that I was there, I could not get over certain distinctive qualities about the atmosphere. The words that came to mind were gentle, sweet, peaceful, sincere, tender, still. Some people were singing, others were talking. Many were praying. But there was something like a blessed stillness permeating the place. No one was singing from the, swinging from the chandeliers. In fact, it was quite the opposite. What made this so wild was just how unwild the whole thing was, is. The peacefulness in that place is so palpable that the first ten minutes had made an impression that will last the remainder of my lifetime. A great church leader once said, if you want a personal revival, draw a circle on the ground. Get in the middle of the circle and pray for God to pour out His presence in that circle. In other words, if you want a great revival church in our, in our state, in our nation, it's when we humble ourselves and say, God, let it begin with me. Let it begin in me. Have your way in me. As I said earlier, the revival started on February the 8th in a normal routine uh, 
chapel service, the president, Dr. Kevin Brown, said the service was very ordinary and unremarkable. Those were his exact words. But some students stayed back and informally assembled to continue to pray. And the prayer meeting is still going on and has not stopped. It's going around the clock, church. You say, well, don't they get tired? It's probably not the same group of people all the time. But there's such a hunger of God. They don't want to leave His presence. And church, when you encounter the weight, the glory of God, it's tangible like that. Just like the professor said, it'll change your life forever. And you don't want to leave it. Years ago in the Brownsville revival, Melinda and I had just we had been pastors in, in a small, isolated island in Alaska called Wrangell. And we loved the church there, and, but the church couldn't pay us very much. And we didn't have money to get off the island, much less travel to Brownsville. But I, I challenged the congregation. I said, let's begin to pray for God to do what He's doing in Brownsville right here amongst us. So we begin to pray and we begin to say, Lord, if there's anything in my life, Lord, have Your way in me. Change me. And we had some, some powerful services, some powerful guest evangelists that came in. And it, and it was awesome. There were nights that we didn't leave church on Sunday night till about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning because nobody wanted to go home. If you've never experienced that, it's my prayer that you do. There were people coming in and God was delivering them from alcohol. Drunks in the town knew were drunks. And God was just loving on them and delivering them and setting them free. One night I said, Lord, show us Your glory. And I said, I want everybody in this room to join me. And let's just begin to say, Lord, show us Your glory. We want to encounter Your glory. And I stood in amazement as I watched. And, and on this side of the auditorium, it was like a wave. I could see the presence of God, not, not uh, visibly, but I could see the effect His presence was having as He just swept across the congregation. They began to, to get out on their knees or some would begin to cry and, and just some would lay prostrate before the Lord. But every single person in the congregation that night experience the presence and the power and the glory of God. Everyone was on their knees or on the floor weeping and crying before the Lord. And I was just standing there amazed watching what God was doing. And then the presence of the Lord hit me. And I couldn't stand. And I fell to my knees and I began weeping before Him as well. Church, that's what our nation must have. I want to read a verse out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, verse 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me 
when you search for me, listen to this, with all your heart. God says, I'm, I'm gonna, you're going to seek me, but you're gonna, and you're going to find me, but you have to come with an intensity, with a passion. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. We must put Him first, church. Put Him first, ahead of your husband, ahead of your wife, ahead of your kids, even though we love them. Guess what? When you love Christ first, you can love your family better. Amen? You can. And that's what God's saying here in Jeremiah. Search for Him with all your heart. In Psalm 63, King David said, O God, You are my God. Early will I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh longs for You. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for You in the sanctuary to see Your power and Your glory. David was running for his life at this time. He didn't know that this might be his last prayer meeting with the Lord. But listen to the passion that he has. And the, the word, words, early will I seek, are actually one word in the original language. And what it means is that he was earnestly, diligently, painstakingly seeking God. Guess what? The kids that stayed after the church service in the chapel, they didn't have to do that. They were dismissed. They had classes. They had things to do. But they wanted to be in the presence of God more than anything else. That's when God manifests His glory. And I love the way that David said, I came to your sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I want to ask you, when you come to church today and you enter into the sanctuary, do you come with a heart that says, God, I'm believing to see your power and your glory. I'm believing you're going to save people today. I believe that today you're going to set people free. I believe today you're going to heal people. I believe you're going to bring people that have kind of drifted away from you. You're going to call them back. We need to be just like David and say, Lord, I want to see your power and your glory in the sanctuary. And I'm i got enough to preach another hour, but I'm not going to. Some of you are going, oh, thank you. But quickly, I'm just going to go through some verses and then I'm going to close. In Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. That's David again. David was a man after God's own heart. We know that. God tells us that. He was a man of passion. He wanted God more than anything else. Psalms 42, verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Have you ever had that feeling? Church, have you ever had that? When it, when it was you know Thursday or Friday and you're thinking, when is Sunday going to come? I want to come into the Lord's house. I'm ready to worship. That's the, the passion we see of the psalmist. Revelation chapter 3. 
We see a church that had lost their passion. God says to them, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. The Laodiceans were known for their hot springs. They were known for the the cool springs as well. They had just very good hot springs that people would come and bathe in it for uh, medical purposes. But the drinking water, if it was lukewarm, they couldn't stand it because it was so rich in minerals. And God was speaking to them because they knew, they understood the difference between cold and hot and lukewarm. And church, I don't ever want to be lukewarm. Amen? I don't ever want our church to be lukewarm. I want to have a heart like David. I want to be passionate like David. One more verse I'm going to give you. A great example of somebody who wasn't lukewarm. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it happened as they went that Jesus entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed Him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who, was all, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, it was just as much Mary's responsibility as Martha in ancient Near East according to their etiquette. She was just as responsible as Martha. And I guarantee you that Mary would have got up immediately if Jesus had rebuked her and said, you need to get in there and serve. But there's a powerful truth here because all of us want to serve Jesus. We're called to be servants. Serve one another and tell people about Jesus. But church, don't go serving until you've been at the feet of Jesus in His presence, hearing His Word, just loving Him and allowing Him to love on you. Mary is such a powerful example. Jesus says, this one thing. She's chosen the right thing. She's chosen the right thing. Jesus would rather have you at His feet than have you out serving. Because you're not equipped to serve until you've been at His feet. Are you with me? Stand with me. Worship team, would you come? Church, every one of us has a choice. The revival, there's been 22 different universities that have sent students that were hungry for revival to the revival, and they, have, they were in hopes that God would impart something to their campus. And now there are about 22 different, not all of them are, are university campuses, but there. I've, heard, I've been told that revivals hit the Christ for the Nations in Dallas. 
I've been told that there's other universities that have experienced revival. And church, we can experience revival right here in Alaska. In fact, there have been many prophetic words that God was going to spark revival that was going to sweep our state and it was going to begin in Wasilla. I'm going to ask our prayer team to do something a little different today. I want our prayer team, I don't want any of you to come to the front, but I want the prayer team to circle around the back wall. And if you have a prayer need today and you want them to pray with you, maybe you need a miracle from the Lord, maybe it's a a financial miracle, a physical miracle, or a spiritual miracle, or you want to intercede and have them agree with you in prayer for somebody else, then find your way back to one of our prayer team members. But if you don't have a special prayer that you want to pray, I want you to come forward and I want you to join me. I want you to fill the the front of the auditorium and I want you to join me and let's pray for revival for our nation. Let's say, Lord, let it begin in us. Will you do that? As they begin to lead us in worship, step out from where you are and let's, let's gather together today. us today. We look forward to connecting with you next time. And don't forget, you can support us by giving through the Church Center app or by going online at summitwc.com give.